0: Um, you know, or maybe no church. And if we were to talk over a long coffee or dinner, we could talk about different church organizational structures. You have a priest, perhaps, in mainline denominations. You have a vestry. You have a session. You might have a board. You might have councils. You might have elders and deacons, and on and on it goes. And its it goes without saying a lot of different iterations about how churches are organized and run. Uh, more typically than not, uh, the senior teaching pastor is seen as the CEO, uh, for right or wrong. Is there a, a hot mic up here that's causing trouble? For right or wrong. And so you have to ask, are we going to follow traditions that churches do, traditions of men, or are we going to align ourselves to the Scripture? Um, We sang a a wonderful set of songs that Jason picks, and you may sing them autopilot, you may sing them without paying attention, you might actually pay attention, but I was reminded because this is the second go-around for us, uh, he has done great things. You've been faithful through every storm, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. And finally, to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. With every breath I long to follow Jesus. I, I sing some of these lyrics and I go, I've just lied again. With every breath? That becomes a prayer, not necessarily a declaration. But this is a time of worship when we as a church say, this is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his church, not ours. Uh, yes, it's our church, but he is the chief shepherd So church backgrounds uh, come into play, and then how churches are organized and run. Uh, Many of us came from a congregational vote church, or maybe a congregational vote, which was essentially an endorsement, an approval of how things were done. Maybe you have a staff-led church. Maybe it's an elder-led church. Uh, More often than not, in the Protestant fundamental evangelical, it's a CEO pastor who kind of wields his weight. And uh, the, the boards around him uh, support his vision. Those are all different ways of doing it. When, when Stonebridge began, uh, Wayne and I both come from similar backgrounds and seeing things done well and maybe not so well. And one of the things we devised, and it's not perhaps unique or new, but we didn't know any other church that had, had done this. We, we began, first we had no name for how many weeks? We were the church for no name. Uh, we had no place to meet um, with thanks to Dave Ramsey and their solutions to let us use this facility. And um, a- as we went forward, we had no elders. We had, you know, we had el- bo- both Wayne and I said, we will not be elders because we believed we want to establish a local church where other men would lead this church beyond Wayne and me. I'm old. He's really old. And so we want <laughs> we want to plan well for the future. And we both knew what this involved. So we created an LLC and we became a 501c3 organization, which if you don't know what that means, that's fine, but that's a nationally renowned, uh, recognized imperture from the IRS so that anybody who gives, it's a bona fide tax deduction. We also became a Tennessee charter, which is super easy in the state of Tennessee. They're church-friendly. Most churches don't have a 501c3, though, in this area. It's interesting. But we said, let's get those on the books. Uh, Charlene Gerals, if you've been involved with our kids' ministry, she is an incredible attorney who's helped us with indemnification, with how we do background checks on people that take care of your children and grandchildren. I would say we have led the area because of people like and Clay Kesserton, his experience with Deloitte and being a CFO mindset, knowing how to run spreadsheets. So we formed this LLC and said, we want to keep this separate from shepherding. Because every board I've been involved with in 40 years of ministry ends up being a business board de facto, HR hiring and firing, salaries, land, dealing with problems. That's not bad or wrong, but Wayne and I were both convinced the Scripture doesn't talk about that. The Scripture differentiates an elder pretty specifically. So again, our hope for the future, long after uh, we're with the Lord, is that you will differentiate between the indemnification, the business, the managing, the money you give, etc., from these men you're going to meet today who are going to shepherd the flock of God. And we have the beautiful crossover of Clay being part of both of these teams, which you'll learn more about in the future. Um, I went back to uh, the Bible, which I do all the time. And I said, "How, how do we begin thinking about an elder structure? And I've had this crazy idea for many, many years that the person named Jethro, a Midianite priest was the beginning of what would become elders, or in, in their time, the synagogue model and the shepherds. And if you remember the story, in, uh, very cryptically in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, uh, Moses is tending the flock of Jethro, who's a Midianite priest. Just, it's just one little sentence. Then chapter 3, verse 2, the next verse says, that's when he saw the so-called burning bush. It was a flame, but it was not consumed, and he went over to see this thing. So we're introduced to Jethro in verse chapter three, verse one, and then we know about the burning bush story. Fast forward chapter 18, many, many years later, we've gone through the ten plagues. Israel has been freed from their bondage of slavery. They've been uh, redeemed from slavery, and now they're going to be consecrated for worship. That's the storyline of Exodus. Most of us know about Exodus 15, the big crossing. That's not the point of the book. The point of the book is redemption from slavery, consecration for worship. Now, how are they going to be consecrated for worship? It's going to be difficult, and they're going to make mistakes. Well, by chapter 18, Moses is sitting as a judge and jury and advocate, and people are seeing him all day long, day and night. His father-in-law, Jethro, comes to him, and this is what we read in chapter 18, verse 21. Furthermore, Jethro is speaking, You shall select out of the people able men. Now, if you know the Bible well, you're going to see the similarities between these qualifications and elders. Who fear God, men of truth, who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute, They will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. It's a fascinating chapter because by this time, and, and there's discussion, is Jethro a believer in Yahweh Elohim? By chapter 18, I think we're pretty sure he is. And the little amendment he says, and God so commands you. I, I'm giving you some wisdom, but you've got to follow God who gave you the law. And soon after that, we see Moses implementing this. And I believe this is the establishment of shepherding and eldering and what became the synagogue model for the Jew. This morning I'm driving in, uh, Gene Getz has been a long-time friend, uh, sharpening, the focus of the, uh, uh, sharpening the focus of the church, uh, a measure of a man, measure of a woman, I think measure of a man is in 60-some languages, uh, he's written probably north of 60, 80 books now, most of them in multiple languages, super simple to read, I knew him in our Dallas days, and we worked together at Moody for a period of time as well, but uh, I called him this morning on the way in about some other things, and... Um, he has two years been down with COVID in the hospital, eight months, had to learn to swallow all over again, how to talk all over again. And this morning, he's 90, by the way, this morning, he was preaching for the second time uh, last week and this week in two and a half years. And, uh, so we were, I said, what are you preaching on? And he was telling me he's, he's the, he's the always student. Uh, Gene never stopped learning. And, um, I said, he said, what are you preaching on? I told him, well, we're installing elders today. And, and he said, Tell me about it. And so I shared this idea with them. And before I could finish, he goes, Michael, I agree with you 1,000%. I said, I appreciate that. 100 would be fine, but 1,000% is pretty strong. Uh, and so we talked about this development of the shepherding model in the Old Testament. There's just too many people. You need help, Moses. And God used Jethro, his father in law, to give him wise, sagely advice. Fast forward, Ezekiel chapter 34, one of the most Uncomfortable passages you will read in the Old Testament when it comes to elders. God is hard on shepherds that don't take care of the sheep. Uh, To remind you, sheep are not only stupid, they're defenseless. They get in trouble. When they're heavy with wool, they're unstable. They have absolutely no defense mechanisms whatsoever. They can't run fast, they can't scratch, they don't bite. To be called a sheep is not a good thing. And that's what God calls us. And we need shepherds. All of us like sheep have gone astray, and that's what they do for a living. Um, So, the idea of Ezekiel 34, God is going to judge the shepherds who did not care for his sheep. You see how this begins to tie together? Moses is shepherding Jethro's flock. God gives him the information about how to do that, and they're not Jethro's. They're God's people. And that picture of shepherding comes all the way into the New Testament. Simply, an elder is a man who cares for his flock, and I argue it's the highest calling in Scripture and perhaps the most important and highest calling on the planet. Uh, The elder is not an elected office where we run for the elder is an appointed office. The elder is a function, and we're going to talk a little bit about this between a gift versus an appointment, or a gift versus an office. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, which Wayne and I talked about again and again and again when we began Stonebridge. Um, I find it's, it's funny how churches, we've got to find new things. And I would say in the last decade churches don't even refer to Ephesians four eleven and 12 anymore. And yet they're foundational stones for how God established His church. And He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor-teachers. The four gifting cornerstones for the church, those were gifts. But the office of elder is an aspirational office that one seeks to become. So we have to differentiate between gifting and the office and function of an elder. Some churches will vote elders in, some will nominate elders, some will vet elders. Um, We believe that you're recognizing and affirming what's already taking place. You're recognizing and affirming what's already taking place. So the men you're going to meet, most of you know them probably, they're already functioning in ways that would say they're qualified. Um, The terminology in our New Testament are two primary words, presbyteros and episkopos. Presbyteros, you can hear in there Presbyterian, presbyter. Uh, episcopos sounds kind of like episcopal. Presbyteros is a word that used, generally used mean older, and we're going to find out in the way it's used in in Pauline language, it's always plural. And then uh, the the, um, the episcopos is epi over skopos, looking, an overseer, which becomes the word bishop in many churches. Sometimes churches will differentiate these terms. The New Testament uses them interchangeably. But they do have a different emphasis and a different usage. Elder being older, more mature, episcopus, one who overlooks the flock. And so these two terms are the offices that are used to describe in establishing Christ's church. There are requirements for these men. There are qualifications, and we can discuss whether they're whether they're Characteristics or qualifiers? I like the word characteristics better because qualifications, like, do we have, is he qualified for these things? Well, no one's really qualified for this job, but do they exhibit the characteristics in keeping with what Paul is going to show us and Peter as we look at them in a moment? Giving you a whole host of scriptures on that slide if you want to chase it down. But when Paul is planting churches on his three missionary journeys, those maps in the back of your Bible that you probably never look at, when he takes the gospel out again and again and again, he plants church, and they are to appoint elders in every city where they have a church. This goes back to the synagogue model. This goes back, I'm going to argue, to Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 18. This is the pattern God designed from eternity past on how to shepherd so many people And to understand this terminology, no one man can do this, and that's why you need a plurality. Uh, As a side, these men are limited in their authority. They don't have authority over every every of your life. Their authority and their influence and hopefully shepherding and heart encouragement is for your spiritual growth and maturity. And... We all make decisions that might fall in and out of wisdom or the best decision. This isn't a police group. This isn't a group that's there to tell you what's wrong. And now they may come alongside and say, have you thought about this instead of that? But the heart of a shepherd is someone who cares for the sheep. In uh, 1 Peter, which we'll look at in a moment, the, the idea of shepherding means you love Christ. Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Shepherd my sheep, do you love me? Tend my lambs. That was the restoration of Peter. Christ, of course, is the high priest. The church belongs to him. Elders are assigned to care for his people and his flock, not theirs, not ours. And chillingly, in Hebrews 12, elders will give an account for how well they shepherded the flock. That's, if not as chilling, more chilling than James 3, one. not many of you become teachers lest you incur a stricter judgment. We will stand in account for what we've done. All of us will. But these two offices and gifting will also be judged. God's Word is clear on how we recognize these elders. Um, so, let's look at these lists. We won't do anything exhaustive, but I want to get you the high view of these lists. The longest list interesting is from Titus. Remember Paul wrote what we call the pastoral epistles. He's writing, okay, how do you do church? Paul was chosen by Christ to be the apostle to the Gentiles and to be the missionary to the world. The great commission was go Jerusalem, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest part of the world and Earth, technically. And so if you look at the story of Acts, it starts out in Jerusalem, it expands to Judea, Samaria, and we have these parallel stories that are sometimes complicated on how the gospel spread, but Paul is the agency who takes the gospel out of Jerusalem. And he goes three times on these tumultuous, dangerous journeys to spread the gospel into what it becomes Europe and Greece and Turkey today. And as that expanded. So he's writing to Timothy and to Titus, and then we have a oh by the way from Peter, about how do you appoint the what do you look for when you appoint these people? Let's take a quick look at them. Titus chapter one, verse five to nine. The first one, above reproach, or unimpeachable, I argue is the most important term in the list. You might say this is the primary term and everything else underneath it explains what it means to be unimpeachable. It's a similar argument that I use when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Not not plural, fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What does love look like? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, so forth. It's not wrong to look at them individually, but this is the overarching principle to be above reproach. Unimpeachable. The husband of one wife. Now I know we live in a town and in a culture that has women elders, women pastors, and teachers, and I don't mean to be unkind, but it's hard to be the husband of one wife if you're a woman. Even if you redefine your sexuality. The text is very clear. A husband of one wife. Children who believe. And and this is an interesting study because it's not saying that all your children have to be, you know, great, perfect Christian kids. Um, we hope that, we pray for that. That's our goal and outcome. But sometimes kids struggle. We'll look at that in a moment in another uh, qualification characteristic that describes this person. But the hope is that you've got kids that know the Lord. If he can't shepherd his own house, how is he going to be any good for the body of Christ? Simple, right? Uh, not accused of dissipation. That's a word we don't use a lot, but that's the idea of a person who's incorrigible. Um, not rebellious, not self-willed, not quick-tempered. Um, you know, that's, candidly, that's one of my Achilles. I can get mad quickly. I can, you know, when something's wrong and bad and stupid, it's really hard for me not to say something. And I can react. And as someone was joking the other day about, I've learned to listen to the Holy Spirit. Sounds a whole lot like my wife's voice. <laughs> Many times Cindy will say, you need to calm down. You need to calm down. Because she knows I can get angry quickly not addicted to wine. The King's English said, not one who sits long beside his wine. Uh, Another big debate today, whether you can or can't drink. When I was in seminary, we studied this at great length, everybody trying to prove your position. And um, we we said, well, if if you're not supposed to sit long beside your wine, then you should chug it. That's the way we interpret things. (laughs) Um, The idea is that wine can become a mocker. Too much of anything's bad. Uh, I believe Scripture affords you the privilege to enjoy wine as a, as a blessing from God. Abusing it is sin. Being intoxicated is wrong, period. Um, not self-will, not quick-tempered, not, not pugnacious. This is a fighter, someone who likes to argue. You know anybody like that? Not fond of sordid gain. It's not about money. Hospitable. Uh, loving what is good. Sensible. Yeah, common sense. Common sense goes a long way in maturity, does it not? Just, devout, self-controlled. We raised our kids indoctrinating them as they went to bed with the salty tapes. And they had the one on the fruit of the spirit. And I'll never forget those songs. If I tried, I wouldn't forget those songs. But I love the one, self-control is just controlling myself. It's listening to my heart eh, doing what is smart. Self-control is just controlling myself. I think I'll control myself. See, that's what happens. Um, That's a godly person. You can control his appetites, control his attitude, control his reaction to things, hold fast to the faithful word, able to teach in sound doctrine, able to refute those who contradict. We can take those somewhat together. We apply that when you're in a small group or group of people and someone says something a little wacky or goofy or off ta- You're not hammering them like a hammer and a nail. You know, where would you get that idea? Where would you learn that? We were with some friends recently talking about the nomenclature in, in, I don't mean to be, when I talk about Middle Tennessee, it's just where we live, it's our culture. But a lot of people say God spoke to me or God told me or God showed me. I got all kinds of yellow flags that go up when I hear that language. What do you mean God told you or showed you? Well, if I'm reading the passage and it says this, I'm, I'm with you. But if I have some impression or inclination or feeling, let's be very careful of what we're attributing to God. Before God told me this or God told me that. So when let's say that happened. So that's interesting. How did you get there? How did you learn that? Where would you learn that? What's it look like? And then unpacking that a little bit with them as you try to teach them and help them be more aligned to God's Word, God's Spirit, and along with God's people, not just an impression. Well, on it goes. We go to 1 Timothy. The list kind of continues. You see some overlap. These aren't hard and fast. Temperate which is a person who's calm, clear-headed, or sober, prudent, respectable, able to teach. This person does not have to be a seminary-trained man, but he needs to be able to say, okay, uh, you hold a position about the Holy Spirit that we don't happen to agree with at Stonebridge. We're not mad at you. I'm not going to run you off, but can we talk about it? Can we study through this? What does the Holy Spirit do? What does He not do? What are these impressions you're talking about? Or whatever the topic might be. Eternal security. How do you know that you know that you know that you're safe? Many people don't know that. And they fear they can lose their salvation or they backslide and don't know God. Well, how can an elder say, let's talk about that. Let's look at some passages that assure us of the security of the believer. It's not like they have to be a scholar or a seminary. Gentle, uncontentious, manages his own household well. Never forget this. I was in seminary. Cindy and I were attending a church. We loved the church dearly. One of the church leader's sons got in trouble with drugs, was kicked out of school. And I very arrogant. I mean, I, I think I held, I was okay in the message, but underneath I was an arrogant jerk. And I went to this elder teaching pastor, and I said, so what's going to happen with so-and-so now that his son's in trouble? How's he manage his own household well? And this elder teacher rightly turned on his heel and gave me a, you know, let me give you a little lesson here, young man. And he said, uh, managing your own household is how does he respond now? If if you're managing a well-oiled machine, you're not managing anything. It's when something breaks or is in trouble, how does that man shepherd his children? And this is 40 years later and I still remember that conversation. How does a person manage? Because we're all, if you live long enough, you're going to have all kinds of bad things happen to you. Another cheery Michael Aisley message. Don't forget it. You're going to have bad things. Will you manage it? And we know these men, most of them pretty well, to say they've managed some tough things. Well, we must move on. Not a new convert for obvious reasons. Good reputation. Now, first Peter adds an interesting emphasis. So Paul has talked to Timothy and Titus about. What to look for when you appoint these elders, but Peter, remember Peter's story. I'll never deny you, Peter. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times, and he lies and cusses and runs off. And then we have what's called Peter's restoration or Peter's primacy. Um, if you go to Israel or have been one of the sites, they call it the Peter, the Church of the Peter, uh, Peter Primacy, the Primacy Church. Whether it's that spot or not, I don't know. It's romantic because it's a big rock right on the water, and it would you know, but. You know, 2,000 years ago, the water level would be a little different in my view. But anyway, all I have to say, there's this discussion happening. And, you know, do you love me, tend my land? Do you love me, Uh, 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 shepherd my sheep? And it makes Peter unhappy. Lord, you know. And we call that the restoration of Peter. So this is the same guy who denied his Lord, who's then restored. And now later in his life, he's writing this letter. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to, and the words the will of are introduced by our English translators. It really just says according to God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again, I've heard many times at a church we served when we would nominate elders, big, big church, I said, so at the end of the day, you're stamping the word example on their forehead and sending them out into the church to say, live like he lives. Treat his wife like he treats his wife. Use your money like he uses his. Raise your children like he raises his children. Look at your devotional life the way he's doing it. That's what Peter says, proving to be examples to the flock, the sheep for which Christ died. And then there's this little amendment in chapter uh, 5, verse 5 that is often overlooked, and I love it. It's so practical. You younger men likewise, be subject to your elders. Young men don't like authority. Period. And all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for the Lord, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we're in this church that we attended while I was in seminary, and we—I have a list of over a hundred elders that I've served with over the years. And one church had fifty at one point, so that sort of blows the curve, and. Um, I don't mean to be indelicate or unkind. Um, only a handful were really solid, strong elders. They're good men, good men all, but they come close to this. And uh, I'll never forget when we were in seminary, uh, Dr. Alan Hull who was one of the elders they had at an elder rule church, kind of brethren-esque, if you know the Grace Brethren, kind of a brethren-esque church. We had Lord's Supper every Sunday, and it was, it was elder-run uh, they didn't even use the word pastor at that church. And I remember uh, Alan Hull, he's in his 80s, still uh, admired the man so much. He was a godly elder, and I've told him many, many times, you're one of the best elders I knew. And um, he's very deflective and disagrees. I, I never did that. He, it's uh, delightful. But um, I said, Alan, if you could take all the years and all the experience and all the churches, how would you distill down an elder? I mean, we know this list. Without a pause, he said, Michael, do they care about people? Kind of sums it up. It's not the way the Gentiles lead. It's not the heavy-handed leadership structures of the world. It's not team. It's not consensus. Let's erase the business model. And again, you need to thank Wayne because he's been the protagonist. He's been the protagonist with me on this to say we cannot become a business. We cannot become a business. We cannot bring. Yeah, business can help, but the, the church is not a business. These are people for whom Christ died. You're a flock. I'm part of the flock. I'm a sheep that makes stupid decisions and goes the wrong way. Do you care? So in summary, you can have the best church policies, the best church polity on paper, the best documents on the website and the wrong people and have a disaster. And you can have the worst policies, the worst polity and have the best people and have a really good church. And my prayer, my hope, is that Stonebridge continues that path. It's exciting to introduce these men to you. ask Wayne to come up and do that from here.
1: Thank you, Michael. Men, would you mind joining me up here on the platform? If you're live streaming with us, bear with us for a second while we make a modification here. Told the first hour that th- this is the first time you get to see these guys do any work. They have to move their own chairs. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. I too want to share with you while they're getting comfortable up here and getting themselves staged, I, w- I want to share one final thought with you to tag on to Michael's comments. You know, as uh, Paul was giving Timothy and Titus this really deep description of these characteristics that he expects he also turns his thoughts to the very men that will serve and he makes this interesting statement about these men he says give attention to the public reading of scripture to exhortation and teaching one of the things that we've been very careful about even to get to this morning is that we're not administrators we don't want guys that are going to sit in meetings Uh, which is one of the reasons why the easiest way to look at this is who is ministering in our midst today? Who is carefully handling the Word of God? Who is caring for the flock today? And do they have a desire to serve in this broader way, in this office? I think these three things are important. God's Word, the reading of Scripture. I love this old word, exhortation. I don't think I've ever used it in a sentence myself other than when the Word of God does. But here's what strikes me about it. Exhortation is like begging a person to be virtuous. Begging someone to lead a holy life, to follow a holy God. That's one of the primary objectives of men that serve as elders. And the third thing, teaching, is an obvious thing. It's not teaching a book. It's teaching God's Word, which is very, very important. Uh, Paul, Paul finishes this idea with these two, I'll call them warnings, to these elders. He says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. These men aren't finished. They're in the same journey, just like all of us. And yet we need men who it's evident that God is at work in their lives and is drawing them closer to him. The final thing that uh, Paul says is pay close attention to yourself. You know, there's this self-inspection that needs to happen. These men need to be serious about this charge, their faith, the responsibility to serve here in the church. And I just want to say to you all how grateful I am for these five guys. I know them all. I've had the privilege to work alongside them in ministry roles, uh, in some cases in discipleship, in dividing the Word of God, in difficult things and some things that were fun, And I can tell you with great confidence they are tested. And uh, I'm grateful that we have them here as part of our church. So let me just start by first introducing them to you. You got a little wave a little bit. This is Colin Brace, Clay Kesterson, Ken Helton. Do you know this guy here? Jason Germain and Justin Wolfe. Now, we're not going to answer all your questions this morning. That's not our purpose, but we want to introduce them to you. So let me start first. We'll start over you, with you, Colin. And here's a simple way for us to kind of wade into this. Give us a little snapshot of how you got here. What brought you to Stonebridge?
2: Uh, God did, and that's the, the simple answer. Um,
1: He's sucking up to Michael. Did you get that already? Yeah.
2: The, uh, the long answer, it really kind of started in 2020, um, I kind of think of James, considered all joy when you experience many trials of various kinds. 2020 was a trial, and uh, it really drove me and my family to the word, and uh, I've been a friend of Michael's for over a decade, and uh, around that time, I heard that Stonebridge had just started, and y'all were meeting, and I had some time with Michael, and he... Uh, he just really, really encouraged me with the word. And um, when we came the first Sunday, I realized this is a church that divides the word correctly, that loves God, loves God's people, and will do whatever it takes to love God's word. And that is, uh, that was kind of enough for me and my wife, Katie, to, to say, this is where God wants us to be right now. And Uh, We're very, very excited to be here. Clay?
3: Good morning, everyone. Uh, My wife and I uh, attended a church in the area, and throughout uh, several years, we saw many of our peer group join other church plants, some in New Jersey, some in Antioch, and I always felt a little jealous, maybe, um, of that calling to follow someone to start something new, how, how exciting that would be. Um, and, and it wasn't for us at that time. Uh, there was a, uh, a man by the name of uh, Michael Easley, who you might know, who started a Tuesday night Bible study in this very room, which we attended. Naturally, when a church uh, began in the fall of 2018, uh, we, we were here day one. The light of the word is bright, much more so now. Um, so that's the place we have to be. That's the place where we can serve, and we can grow, and we can encourage others to do the same.
1: Ken?
4: Well, I wasn't here for the start, but I got here as quickly as I could. <laughs> um, my wife and I lived in, in, in Dallas for a long time, 41 years. But when we came here, we were looking for a church where uh, the word of God was lifted up, expository teaching was being done, And some friends of mine uh, came over, and they said, Hey, you're going to come over here and hear uh, Dr. Easley. And of course we did, and it was just what we were accustomed to. The, g- the word of God was being opened, and we were being encouraged and, ins- and instructed in how to grow uh, in-, in favor and grace. And so uh, we love it, and, um, and we're privileged to have uh, five of our ten grandchildren live in the city, and some are seated with uh, my wife and his uh, Uh, I mean, yeah, my wife (laughs) and my son and his wife, but um, that's how we got here, and uh, it's exciting seeing a lot of church plants, and you can tell a difference when the Word of God is active and moving in His people.
1: Before you say anything, Jason, i got to make a comment. So two things about Ken. I don't know if you noticed, uh, somebody pulled me aside at the end of the first service and said, so you have the seasoned guy sitting in the middle of the younger guys. Uh, That was by accident. However, I will say between Michael and I and Ken, we got two hundred years covered, easy. <laughs> so no worries there. The second thing I want to tell you about uh, Ken, because he won't say it, is you heard Michael mention Gene Getz. Uh, Ken was at the beginning of Gene Getz's church years ago and was one of the elders there. So we're just privileged to have a guy that's got that kind of experience with us. Jason.
5: Yeah. So um, I served along with Michael at a, at a church previously, and. Um, I moved away from that church and went to a different church, and I would get texts randomly from Michael saying, "Uh, I hate you. (laughs) And
2: uh, (laughs) true story. Uh,
5: He hated me for leaving him because we were kind of cut from the same cloth. We were impatient with the same sort of things. I remember us sitting in a song meeting uh, and kind of making knowing looks at each other like, this is baloney, right? I'm like, yes, it is. and so I had a friendship built with Michael and and um when uh we went both we both kind of went through traumatic vocational crisis at the same time and um I called him and we grabbed coffee and I said man when you start something I I'm going to be there period full stop and uh so the Bible study started and and uh it it uh, I remember him saying I th- I hope sh- 30 people show up and I'm like dude out of zero <laughs> and um uh, it's just been a huge joy to, to serve alongside um, these guys. And um, I'm here because, Michael, in um, the church, uh, we value the Word of God. And um, we want to align ourselves in every area of our lives, both as a church body and as a church, um, with what this book says. Um, and so I'm excited.
1: Justin. Justin. Um,
6: me ending up here was, uh, me and Maddie, um, and my children, um, was a, was a fairly long, uh, journey to an extent. Um, Stonebridge is the first time I've attended church with a family member in 10 years, um, which was kind of a decision, um, uh, to not always, if you haven't figured out Wayne is my father, we look similar in nature. Um, there's also, I know. Better looking. Yeah. 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 Uh. Um, There's no height or hair requirements on the elders list, just so we're (laughs) clear about that. Um, But uh, my elderly parents moved in with me (laughs) before Stonebridge started. Um, And I mean that sincerely. They were building a house and and moved in with me and my wife, and we had no plans of attending. Um, And if you uh, know my family, uh, my immediate family, we were the only believers um, throughout And so we kind of stick together to some um, extent. Um, And my father announced one day that him and Michael were starting a church, and they were living with us. And so my wife looked at me and said, hey, we should just, let's go support the team, you know? Um, And so we were here the first week. um, And on the drive home, we looked at each other and said, man, we should probably go back next week. Um, And that happened for multiple months um, without actually us talking about it internally. Um, and the word is lifted up here. And so every time we would go home, we would talk about the message. And it had been years um, outside of our own personal study um, that the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than two in, two, a two-edged sword, um, infiltrated mine and my wife, um, specifically with church. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how we, that's the short version of how we ended up at Stonebridge.
1: One quick observation for you so that you know, you know, there are somewhere between seven and 800 people in our database that call Stonebridge home. You're not all here, you know, at the same time. We have two services and such. Uh, so you're not going to know all of these guys. But one of the things we're really excited about is because they're actively involved in ministry, You're going to know one of them, maybe two of them, just just because you're going to rub up against them. And that's really what our hope is. And beyond that, one of the things that none of these guys have really mentioned at great length are their wives. Uh, One of the things I'm really excited about, all five of these guys, their wives are intimately involved in the ministry along with them. And that tells us that they're fully committed. And kind of dedicated, so I just wanted to make that comment. How about we go to another question here, starting with you, Justin? Let's run the mic this way this time. Uh, like, what's your heartbeat for ministry? What are you doing right now, inside the church, outside the church? What, what's driving you?
6: Um, yeah, so uh, one of the passages uh, Michael taught on in First Timothy, there's a there's a verse prior to what he exposited, and um, it's kind of God's heart. Um, in God's heart, he says, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, I would say that's my desire. My desire for Stonebridge is specifically for the men of the church. Um, the the health of the body of Christ in a church is only as healthy as the men are in the church. Um, that are leading their wives well, leading, leading their families well. Um, and so... I've, I've uh, served in, in a number of different ways, um, specifically in small groups. I've taught a small group that's multiplied um, three times now. So um, the Kurtz, the Rosses have, have started a small group um, out of mine. Jack Mayer has um, started one um, as well, and, and Noah and Naomi. So we've kind of had that discipleship that's been taking place, which is um, on my heart. And then on Tuesday nights, I lead a men's Bible study. Um, We're about a year and a half in, there's maybe 25 or 35 guys that are coming, um, and we're just walking through books of the Bible. And so my heart is for men, um, that they desire God's word, um, and they desire to teach it to their children. Um, Michael and Wayne often talk about next generation. Um, I'm already 40, right? I'm thinking about the next generation as well. Um, And the word of God shows that we're only one generation away. Um, from a culture that will not know God. Um, so that's my heart for Stonebridge.
1: S- small notice. He's passing that mic to Jason. He neglected to tell you that this Bible study of 25 or 35 people on Tuesday nights starts at 8 o'clock in the evening. Michael and I are convinced he did that so neither of us would show up.
5: <laughs> <laughs> <Absolutely>. Jason. <laughs> uh, yeah, much of my ministry is pretty visible, I think, Um with uh, what we do here at Stonebridge with music and lots of coffees and lots of conversations. and uh, But I also function um, kind of as a doorstep, uh, a hospitality in some way, and uh, also a bit of a theological bouncer. Um, it, I don't know why the it seems to be that worship is the spear point of, of bad theology, but that's just what it is. Um, and it comes at me every week, um, so that's a, a an interesting role, and um, outside of these doors, I have uh, another job, and I've spoken about it a couple times, but I think it actually plays a part. Um, I'm a school bus driver for Williamson County. I've told many of you that before, and um, these kids are also my ministry, and um, there's 120 souls that um, I know all their little names and interests and, and try to get right in there, and they're Families in need in our county uh, in need of um, the kindness of Christ, and so I get to live out uh, my faith in a strange way that way. Uh, Just this week, uh, a guy telling me, getting off the bus, he's like, "Hey, man, I made the starting lineup football next year," and uh, he's like, "Have you ever been to a game?" I'm like, "Are you inviting me to your football game?" He's like, "Yes," I'm like, "I will be there. I will be there." So it's um, and it's daily, uh, but for some reason these two uh, vocational things in my life seem strangely knit together for me. Um, There's a humility in driving a school bus around, and um, it keeps me uh, keeps me salty. And uh, when I get up on stage, uh, you know the rock. It's hard to be a rock star and a bus driver. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's my heart for ministry. Um, Yeah.
1: I want to make a quick comment about Jason because I didn't hear you say this, and and I just want to thank you. Uh, I don't know of many talented musicians that are also theologians that desire for the Word of God to be delivered through our music so that it draws us to God This guy is a rare bird, and I got to tell you, if there's one thing that we could do as a church, is pray for him because he has a dream and a heart to continue writing that kind of music, Uh, and we get the privilege of singing some of his his own work. So, just thank you, Jason, for that. Ken. Well, when we left our uh,
4: church in Dallas, we left uh, our home church and our the spiritual family that we're in. We came to a neighborhood here that was new and rapid and growing, and we said, well, we we know God uh, has a place for us because we believe that the church is the body of Christ, and he places uh, those sheep in it that he wants. He said, let's see where he's got to place us. So we uh, had a cooking ministry. As uh, people would move in, and their, ch- uh, their van would unload, and the moving van would move away, Kay and I would go and knock on the door with a tray of cookies and say, we're your neighbors, welcome to the neighborhood, and if you have any questions, let us know, and by the way, we have a Bible study on Tuesday night at our house if you'd like to attend, and so there's members out here today that are still (laughs) members of that uh, fellowship that we we were blessed to have, and we also believe that um, we're all growing in Christ, and each one of us has an important part in each other. And I, I'm blessed to have a group of men in an accountability group that meet in our home on Wednesday morning. And uh, we've been uh, growing together and learning to pray for one another, learning everybody's warts or whatever the problem is, and loving each other, falling in love. And we have a brother that's uh, uh, going through some really difficult things, and it's a sweet thing to see the body of Christ minister to one another and to be a part of that. And uh, that's why we're so pleased to be a part of this body is there's a lot going on that's really good.
1: Hey, hey, Ken, don't pass that away yet. This is the wild card round. So I Uh got to ask you a wild card question for a second. Can I ask you how old you are? Well, you can. Will you answer me. (laughs) Will you answer me. How old are you, Ken? Uh, I'm still 77 for another month. Okay, I want to make this observation. Did you hear him say he's been here for three years? Did you hear him describe that it's he and Kay that are out there Introducing themselves to the new people that are moving into the area to help them with the area. Who does that? Ken does. Mm. So thank you, Ken, for being that kind of a guy.
3: Clay. So unlike Jason, I'm, I'm best serving off the stage. Um, I, I, I tend to uh, enjoy more behind-the-scenes work. There is is a team that, that you know well that puts on uh, the live stream that we're doing right now um, that comes early uh, with Jason and the band to to practice um, so that worship is theme-based and there is a purpose to it and it's not your favorite song on the radio. Um, I'm also privileged to serve, as Michael said, on, on the board that's been set up as a 501c3 for the church. That has been such a privilege uh, to come together operationally, uh, unlike what this group is going to be focused on, uh, but to, to make plans uh, for the exciting future that Stonebridge uh, has, that God continues to bless this church and we praise him for that. And then lastly, I'm involved with a group of men and women who um, are charged with uh, being alert, being steadfast, um, to be able to, uh, to be prepared, to respond. Um, and a culture that would rather us not talk about Christ, that would rather us not gather. Um, So that's a unique opportunity to serve. Uh, My wife and I are both involved with that, Um, so we consider it a joy and a privilege to serve in a unique way here at Stonebridge. And note how important that is, Um, and it's been said before, the availability being greater than the ability. Uh, if If you call Stonebridge home, I would encourage you, implore you, to consider a way of stepping in because you have something to give to the greater body of Christ. And maybe it's visible maybe it's not. Um, But that is a role that each of you can play in the growth of this young church.
1: Yeah. Since this is my habit now, because I love these guys, Clay, it's hard to miss Clay. How tall are you? Six nine. Yeah. He's tall drink of water. Is that what they say in Texas, Michael? Tall drink of water, something like that. Uh, I want you to know one of the things about Clay and that behind-the-scenes ministry that he has. He's the guy with the huge heart. He's the guy that when somebody looks like they need something, he's first in line to help them. Uh, When somebody needs somebody to spend some time with them, just to encourage them, that's my friend Clay over here. And uh, I like to call him the gentle giant because he is. So thank you, Clay.
2: Colin. I second that, Clay. You're exactly that. Um, love your heart, buddy. I, I have a couple different ministries. One is outside the, the walls of Stonebridge um, that I've been doing for five years. I started it about five and a half years ago. And um, I lead anywhere from 20 men to 30 men at a different time uh, every month through discipleship. Uh, it's an organization I started called The Ranch, something I'm very, very passionate about. And the reason that I'm really passionate about it is... Uh, Truly, I agree with almost every guy on this stage in the theme that men are to step up and lead. And uh, not probably in the way that uh, most of us have examples of. It's very, very rare to see good examples of leadership. And um, I just truly believe that if you teach the Word of God, that if you help men uh, understand the Word of God, they will love God and they will live for God, and they will do amazing things. And I think of Matthew 9, uh, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Um, I want to make workers as much as I possibly can in assisting God as as he does that. Uh, Inside the the walls of Stonebridge, (laughs) I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole up on this stage. I view myself as a utility player, so... Wherever I'm needed, I'm, I'm going to go. Wherever there is a problem uh, or an issue, I'm going to jump in. And it really comes down to that's what God did for me in every area of my life. I love problem solving because God is the most unbelievable problem solver in my life. Um, so I'm, that's, that's really what I'm passionate about uh, with Stonebridge, is helping men live inside. Uh, those those walls and understanding how to divide the word rightly
1: and one of the amazing things for me is watching the evolution of the ministry that colin has outside of this church the ranch uh, you know over the last couple of years it's increased in numbers significantly how many guys you got there now
2: uh, we have about 30 now and we've got probably a couple hundred alumni that have been influenced by it
1: and and these are men that by their by their own mark, are probably successful business people in Middle Tennessee. And uh, Colin's had a heart to put the Word of God in front of them. And it, it's become a launching point for this for discipleship. So I get excited when I see the church get outside the walls of the church. And that's what Colin is has a real heart for. Let's do one last quick thing for us to wrap up. Colin, let's work it this way this time. I mean, if you've got a dream, a hope, a prayer, what's your... What are you thinking about Stonebridge in the days ahead?
2: I think uh, if, if we got into what I truly dream about and hope for with Stonebridge, we'd have to sit down for about an hour and have a cup of coffee individually because <laughs> uh, there's so many things that I'm excited about with Stonebridge. Um, there's a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and it is simply this, the whole job of the church is to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And uh, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm excited to serve in this capacity. I'm going to be very transparent. About half of me is absolutely terrified to step into this role. Uh, And then the other half of me is extremely excited to see what God does. Um, I love God's people. I love God's word. And I love this church. I think that I'm most excited to continue to hold the line Um, in our culture, with biblical teaching, and I really, really hope that all of us on this stage become redundant, that we become almost irrelevant because there are so many men ready and willing to step into this position that uh, we have just absolutely unbelievable opportunity to multiply and share the gospel. So uh, that's what I'm most excited about.
3: My prayer is that that the future of Stonebridge is quite bright. My hope is for growth, but I don't think a God-fearing body of Christ is represented as a church of thousands. If God chooses to bless us in that way, fantastic. This is his church that we call Stonebridge. And as we move further from a young church and towards a more mature church, uh, I'm Excited for new ministry opportunities within the body, locally, globally, men's ministry, something that I think, and Colin alluded to this, is is quite overlooked um, in the church today. Uh, It is an exciting time. I'm also excited about these men up here. Uh, I'm encouraged by their hearts, Uh, grateful to Michael and Wayne um, for their leadership Um, But it is quite uh, an exciting day and a bright future ahead for the church, Um, something definitely that we can all celebrate.
4: Well, I'm very excited, too, because I've been involved in a number of church plants over the years. Um, You know, I've been in this for a while. Uh, and, And what I see here is magnificent. I see the word of God working in the hearts of people. And it's drawing them closer and closer to fall in love with the man who's the book about, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord and Savior. And what's so exciting about that is, Clay, we may not be growing in numbers, but we're growing in maturity. And that's what we want to do. We want to be conformed to the image of our Savior. And I see that going on in the body of Christ here, and I'm so pleased to have you all in my life to help me move in that direction.
5: Uh, My vision uh, for Stonebridge is um, I think we have a real opportunity. Um, You know, I moved down here 20 years ago. I'm from Canada. My dad's a retired uh, pastor. And uh, when I first moved down here, I had a little experiment. I'd go swim at the uh, YMCA and and, uh, I'd go and sit in the hot tub after. And I just, as a a little, you know, uh, survey, I'd ask whoever got in there with me, I'm like, how was church Sunday? And never once did someone say oh i don't you know i don't go to church or anything like that and so <clears throat> uh, in the south you know we're just we have so much cultural christianity and uh, it seems like the last few years there's been a sifting and a shifting happening uh, where that g- gap between cultural christianity and those who want to follow Christ of, of the word of god um, is is becoming more apparent uh, i kind of have thought of a book idea called the invisible kingdom where there's you know, within the church, uh, there's the, kind of the wheat and the tares. So, uh, what I see at Stonebridge is kind of the invisible kingdom gathering together. And so, I think we have an opportunity uh, here in the South to be a city on a hill, to be a church that holds the ground on expositive teaching and, and the Word of God. And specifically in worship, obviously, I'm interested. And I didn't, I failed to mention this the first service, but um, there's. Um, Groups like City Light, we sang one of their songs this morning, um, and you know the Gettys, who seem to be doing a good job of holding, holding ground uh, and moving forward. And I think we have a huge opportunity here, given the talent pool that we have, to to um, to be part of that uh, voice and to sing songs from the Psalms, to sing gospel truth um, grounded in the Word of God that. Uh, leads people not to an experience but to a life of devotion so um, that's my my vision for Stonebridge
6: there was uh, something my father always taught me my brothers growing up um, and it was that as we teach God's word we're responsible for the depth and God handles the breadth of ministry um, and and the exciting thing um, in and getting to participate with stonebridge is just watching what god's doing Um, but jason led a song and michael talked about this morning that he's done great things i mean we're three and a half years in um and and god has i said i said this first service god's playing chess and we're pretending like we're playing checkers right um i i can uh tell you in one of our small groups even this year there's a young lady that came to know the lord right Um, God orchestrates things so that we can be vessels to usher more people into salvation. Um, That's my hope for Stonebridge. Um, Let me read this passage uh, from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that you may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Um, Christ is talking to the disciples at that point in time, and he's talking to them collectively, but the reality is they individually were called to go out. Um, and that's the purpose of the church. We come here together to worship, to disciple, to build each other up so that we individually can go out and work for Jesus. Jesus. Um, That's my heart for Stonebridge, Um, whether it's in our local community or um, even missions overseas. I want our church to disciple individuals to go into a culture um, that no longer promotes